anybody ever been in a storm? Are you going through a storm? And you could probably take that in one of two different ways or take them both ways. Well, the reason I say that is uh, already in uh, the book of Mark, as we've been going through it, we uh, ran into where the disciples found a storm. Of course, Jesus calmed that stormy sea. You remember that, right? That was back in chapter 4. Way back in chapter 4 where a series of these amazing miracles started happening. It was a terrible storm. The disciples thought they were going down. They thought that was it as they fought through the night. So they feared for their lives. What a miracle uh, they experienced. And uh, they saw what Christ could do. I mean, this is the worst storm of their lives. They've never been in a physical storm like that. But uh, mentally, it uh, definitely was a storm, and in a lot of ways, a storm all, all the way across the board. You see, at that time, he had been with them when they were on that boat out in out in the sea, out in the lake, and he was with them, but he was sleeping. But yet, they called on him, and finally awoke. Well, there's another time where they're out in a storm, different storm, and he is not with them bodily. No bodily presence there. So this is more of a test than they've ever had before. Have you ever noticed that uh, when tests come upon you, that sometimes they're a little bit stronger than they were before? The test line gets a little bit heavier for you. And uh, that's kind of what the Lord is doing. He's got, he has a purpose in all these. It's kind of interesting as you go back in time and church history, you take these two stories of the storms that are recorded in the Gospels, and the early church artists grabbed a hold of that. And they put these fishermen and disciples in this little bitty boat, and there's the storm just crashing against this little tiny boat. They're tossed about. Turbulent sea, and they're, they're there looking at it, and they're just terrified. Right? You've seen some of those pictures even... Present. That was kind of a mark of the church. It was kind of significant. It was kind of a symbol of the church because they knew what it was like to go through this sea of storms in life. So they took what in reality happened to the disciples and put that in a spiritual significance. And I think we can all relate to that because life is a voyage, isn't it? And a lot of times we had to... Beautiful blue skies and the sunshine. It's just beautiful days. And then all of a sudden the storm comes. You know, navigating through life's seas are uh, very uncertain sometimes. You never know what's going to come next. Well, the kingdom was very small at that time. You have much of the kingdom in a little bitty boat. You ever thought about that? There's the church, the starting of the church in this boat. Now, there are other believers out there, but uh, very uh, small number. So they play a big role in the church and Jesus has them out there in this boat. These are the ones who are going to take the gospel out to the world. (laughs) And there He has them in this situation, a horrible, nightmarish experience that they have. And yet we know they come through them. But I think it's very fascinating whenever storms seem to be the worst or the worst yet, that God's glory shines through even more than ever before. Have you noticed that? God gets amazing glory. Now, you remember that uh, the feeding of the 5,000? That was when? How long ago was that when we studied that? Last week. <laughs> Been only a week. And of course, we're, we're very familiar with that great miracle. And it's considered maybe the greatest of all the miracles in the sense that it spread out among thousands that were there, not just one individual at a time. As they experienced uh, uh, the feeding of them, He created food for them out of just a little bit of amount of food that was there. Well, you can imagine what kind of fervor that's going to cause. That's why we say this is a significant miracle because... Of course, before the crowds are getting bigger and bigger. Now, there's a messianic fervor that happens. Hey, if He can feed us like that, He can help us defeat the Romans. And we'll win, we'll take over, and we will no no longer have any king or any nation over us. We will be our own. He can do it. He's our leader. 
Now, when you get that spreading out amongst thousands of people, that's a little scary. Because they are there to make Him king. Well, what if He doesn't want to be the king that they have in mind, right? It's time to get out of there in a hurry. And so that's what's going to happen. Uh, he's going to get out of there. And the disciples are going to have to get out of there. But there's a bigger reason. There's a purpose behind all of this. Because He wants them to get out into the sea without Him. And He's going to send a storm on purpose just for them. That is the bigger reason. Now that sounds opposite. Again, it seems like every time that we have to look at something like this, it seems to be the opposite of the way that we would desire it. But He is the one who caused the storm. It's amazing that He would do that. And this is the church out there, right? Representing the church. And they're exhausted. Throughout that night, they get more and more exhausted to the point of where there really isn't anything left. I mean, they're going to be spent. And this is exactly where Jesus wanted them. Where they could totally only see that it's faith in Him, that He is the Son of God. And He... uh, He reminds them of who He really is. I think we have to be reminded too that He takes care of us. Just like He took care of them in the worst of situations. And if it takes trials, if it takes persecutions, if it takes all sorts of tests that can strip us down, He will do that because He wants us to follow Him and be more like Christ every day. And He will use different situations. So Jesus will always come at the perfect time though. His timing is perfect and when He shows up there and He's been there the whole time, He knows what's going on. But He he goes there even when it doesn't even seem like He cares. They're wondering... You know, why did He send us out here? What is this? What's this all about? Doesn't He care? Why isn't He doing something? Well, that's what this is about. Uh, This story, I think, will speak to us today. How we are to be taken care of. And we're taken care of by Him. And He'll constantly do that. And He'll put us where we don't want to be. Because we wouldn't go there on our own. But He will do that to make it even better for us. Let's read that Scripture that we're so familiar with. It's in Mark 6, starting at verse 45. Immediately, Jesus made His disciples get into the boat, go ahead of Him, to the other side, to Bethsaida, while He Himself was sending the crowd away. After bidding them farewell, He left for the mountain to pray. When it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them, at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he intended to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost, and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke with them and said to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them. The wind stopped. And they were utterly astonished. For they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was ardent. When they crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. When they got out of the boat, immediately the people recognized Him and ran about that whole country and began to carry here and there on their pallets those who were sick to the place they heard He was. Wherever He entered villages or cities or countryside, they were laying the sick in the marketplaces and imploring Him that they might just touch the fringe of His cloak. And as many as touched it were being cured. Let's pray. Father, what... A story we have here. A reality. Something that happened historically. The Son of God did something that no man could ever do. Thank you for this story. May it teach us lessons as it teaches the disciples. It was very valuable in the teaching for them. In Jesus' name, amen.
Well, we have this uh, one who walks on water, and the first thing that he deals with here is direction. He gives them direction. He gives his people direction. Now, the disciples actually had enrolled in school. Did you know that? The school of Christ. Have you ever been in the school of Christ? Well, if you're a Christian, you are in the school of Christ daily. Every day. It's like, oh man, I graduated a long time ago from school. But we're in the school of Christ. And uh, the thing is, is we're in the school of faith. And He's teaching us to trust in Him. Little did the disciples know that day that faith was going to be their lesson. And that's what they were going to undergo. They were not going to learn it in a hothouse in the uh, seminary or in, in the college class, not in the classroom. They're going to learn it out there in the sea. Now, you've heard of uh, out in the field. In this case, beyond the field. <laughs> and so here we go. When God gives direction, it's His will, isn't it? So we look at God's will here, and you'll notice a word that popped out of immediately, and it's called immediately, the very first word. And we've seen that in this book throughout this gospel and throughout this section today. You probably saw that word immediately as I tried to emphasize it a little bit. Right after the miracle of creation, of food, (laughs) immediately Jesus wants His disciples to leave. Why would that be? Matter of fact, He he makes them get into the boat. In in the uh, literal Greek, it means that He forced them He made them get into the boat. He commanded. He insisted. No, guys, I insist. And so they do. They get in there. Uh, They actually, it seems, in the way this sense is, because he's making them get in, is that they don't really want to go. Because he just turned five little biscuits and two little sardines or small fish to feed 20,000, 25,000. And people are just swarming around. I mean, this is an amazing thing. They're thinking, hey, listen, this is a great opportunity. You know, look at this. And Jesus is saying, let's go, guys. <laughs> After they've been fed and everything, it's time, time to go. The crowd has passion. Crowd has zeal. They've just been fed. They saw what happened. And the disciples, they're weak. They're really susceptible to things. And, you know, this is a pretty cool thing that just happened, but the crowds, as far as the passion and zeal, is, is very much mounting. And they're susceptible to all of this. And Jesus knows that temptation comes even at times whenever we've had a spiritual matter, that is a good thing. You have to be very careful. And pride can mount. and All sorts of seemingly good things, we have to be careful about that. And uh, that's what is happening here. Um, he's wanting, he knows that they're going to try to make him king. And the disciples are thinking, hmm, it's not a bad idea. Well, Got to get out of there. So it makes him go. Kent Hughes, I think, said something very interesting about this. The twelve were reluctant, like children who are having a good time and don't want to get into the car to go home. <laughs> Remember that? If you raise kids or you were a kid or you have kids right now and they're having a great time, they're playing with their cousins or friends, you've driven a long way, but it's time to go home and say, okay, kids, got to get in the, get in the car. They start crying, you know. <laughs> Remember that? Because, man, don't take us now. I mean, things really got started. Well, that's what it was like for these disciples. Do you, do you see it? That's what's going on. He, he sh- and He shoves them into the storm. storm hasn't really happened yet, but that's really what He's doing. He, you know, He knows best. Father knows best. Hey, 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 we could start a TV show off like that. For all you ones that have been around a while. Uh, the Lord is preparing His servants. He knows that one of these days He's not going to be with them bodily anymore. He knows He's going to be taken up. And they're going to be doing the ministry without Him being here walking with them on on the earth. He'll be with them in the Spirit, but not in in that presence that they have known. So He's kind of weaning them in a little way, I guess you could say. He's already done that, sending them out 
in, in pairs, and then eventually there will be the 70 that will be sent out. It was them and then others. And, and without him going along, well, he's training them here. That's a valuable lesson that they're, they're going to learn. So he directs the servants to the boat to go eventually into the storm that they don't know about. See, the Lord really doesn't show us what the next step is. You guys notice that in your faith walk? Oh, if only I knew. No, you don't want to know. When you get there, it'll be the perfect time, the perfect place, everything that He has designed. And He's going to go up to the mountain. He's not going to go out there with them. He's going to go up there to pray. Now, we know that storms can come our way because we have been disobeying God. Is that possible? We can have a, a tough time because we brought it on ourselves and we have been disobedient. We have not followed the Lord. We're saved by grace. I can do anything I want, so therefore I don't care. I'll do this. I can tell you that the Lord knows that and He will take care of that. If you're His child, He will discipline you. And Hebrews 12 talks about it. Sometimes it can be very stiff. The more you disobey, the more the stiff will be. And He'll bring you back into the fold. Um, Okay, imagine that. You can imagine what disobedience can do. But imagine if you're obedient. Are they obedient? Yeah, they get into the boat. And they go out into the sea, just like He said. Okay, we'll meet you over there. Now, obedience brings some things along that you wouldn't want to happen. Listen, sometimes you're disobedient and it seems like you're getting away with it. But you're really not. And that, that will catch up with you. But obedient. This is what they get. They face a storm. I do want to tell you, if they'd been disobedient, here's probably what they would have got immediately. They have a full stomach. They probably would have been invited to somebody's home. Nice, comfortable place. Nice, comfortable bed. And they could sit and talk with them and tell them all the stories that Jesus has done. Now, that sounds pretty good. Doesn't that sound right? And it's comfortable and you're, you're still sharing the Lord. What's wrong with that? Well, nothing unless the Lord told you to get into the boat. I command it. When, when Jesus commanded, they, they did go. They, they, they did go. So, anyway. So, they obey and they go right into the face of a storm. Alright, now. This is all God's wisdom. This is... God's wisdom, not our wisdom, we wouldn't have done that. If we'd see it ahead of time, we'd go, <laughs> no way, I'm not going out there. I've got a brain here. Uh, look in John 6.15, and we'll see the wisdom of God here. So Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take Him by force, not to crucify Him, but to make Him a king, well, he is the king. Withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. This is the same story right here in John 6. This is after the feeding of the 5,000. And this is just before the walking on the water. Do you see what's happening here? They want to make him king. That's dangerous. That's, he doesn't want the people to make him king. He is king. He has something else for them to discover spiritually. The spiritual kingdom. When he comes back the second time, yeah, he will be the king, ruling and reigning in the way that we can imagine. But um, that we're talking revolution here. That's what the people are getting ready to, to get going. And they want Jesus to use that same power that he has been doing, especially with that bread thing and the fish. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. Now think about him. He's got twenty to twenty-five thousand people expecting something from him. Well, maybe he better come through with that, right? Maybe we have pressure from the outside of people thinking that we ought to do something a certain way. Well, high levels of expectation doesn't change Jesus' will, does it? His will is perfect. This is the one that can be our king. And they're shouting, and he says. Go, guys. Go. Get in there now. You're going. I'm out of here. I'll meet you later. Uh, you can imagine what they're thinking. But not only does he send the disciples away, and he gets away, but he sends the crowd away. It takes some power to get rid of thousands of people, doesn't it? Can you imagine being at a cardinal game, and they're in the top of the ninth? The bases are loaded. 
and you start gathering up the crowd, so you got to get out of here now. You get out of here. Nobody, nobody wants to. Go. Well, he has the kind of power and the force to do that, so he does. So his wisdom is there. You know, blessings just happen, and all of a sudden we have something here that seems what would be the opposite of a blessing, but Jesus takes it as a blessing all the way. But at the same time, there's burdens and there's battles that are in our walks. And so after a blessing can sometimes come the battle. And uh, that's what Jesus is doing. He leads His disciples into this battle of the storm, and the Lord led them there. Okay, where's the destination? Immediately, Jesus made His disciples get into the boat. And we've talked about that before. The boat. Seems like probably the same boat they've been using. And they go ahead of Him to the other side to Bethsaida. In John 6.17, if you compare that, Matthew also has a parallel uh, writing, uh, a gospel there. But in in John 6.17, he mentions Capernaum. And here, Mark says, no, no, it's Bethsaida. Uh Uh-oh, we got a discrepancy here? Well, not in God's Word. Gospels never disagree. They always agree. The thing is, is Bethsaida, nobody really knows exactly where that's at, but it's on the same plane, very close, in the same area where Capernaum is at. Might be, you know, like maybe two, three miles or so, but uh, whenever you say, let's say if you live in Wardsville, it's so close to Jeff City anymore, it seems like it's all the same. You cross the bridge, I don't know where the Jeff City limit uh, stops and where the Wardsville limit Stop. It's almost Wardsville has brought their city limit sign almost to the Jeff City one. So, and and if you went out somewhere uh, that people didn't know uh, much about Jeff City, they had an idea it's the capital, and they say, "Where are you from?" Well, it's best to say usually uh, Jeff City because it's close to the same. Even though they're really from Wardsville, like when uh, let's say if I'm in out of state or something, or somebody asks, well, "Where are you from?" I actually my house is in Taos. But I always say Jefferson City. That's my mailing address. But yet I live there. And then if you run into Debbie, I don't know, she has all sorts of different things. I think you have Westphalia and then um, uh, Freeburg and, 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 and Kelstown. And, and all of those are above. You can check them all off. So there's no problem here at all. That's the idea. Most people would know Capernaum. Bethsaida is a lot smaller, but that's probably the area they're going to be. At the same time, they're going to cross on over, right, running right through there and go to Capernaum, which is their headquarters. Does that make sense? So if you run into somebody that says, see, the Bible messed up again, they can't get it right, that's no problem at all, is it? We do that same thing constantly. Okay, well, move on. Now, we talked about direction, right? Now we go into intercession. Here, here is the one who walks on water. Here's our great God. He gives direction. It's about His will, right? It's about His wisdom. And He has the destination plan for us. Does that make sense? Putting that into our own lives. He has it for them. This works for us. Now we get into the fact that He is interceding for us. As He gives direction, then He prays to the Father that we do His will. And in our prayers we say, as you will, Lord. Right? But he prays. So Jesus flees to the hills. And uh, it's a time of solitude, a time of prayer. In times of crisis, you see this frequently whenever uh, it's time to choose the disciples, for instance. That was a big time to go up to the mountain to pray. Uh, of course, he does it always. He's praying always. He can say, well, how can, you know, what's the difference between this and now? Or, or, or other times, I mean. Uh, well, not much, really. But it is a very important time because they're learning to be disciples, followers, apostles who are going to be on their own eventually. They need to grow up. I'm telling you, folks, we need to grow up. Let's quit being babies. Wanting things the way that we want. Let's quit being babies. I challenge you to grow up as Christians, right? I'm challenging myself. Whenever I say that, you say, hey, you're trying to get on to somebody here. Yeah, every one of us. Because we all have, we haven't arrived, folks. We don't know it all. We must be seeking God's Word constantly. Go after it. Pursue it. It's there. Grow up. That's what He's going to do with us anyway. Whether you like it or not, He's going to make you grow up. Might as well like it, right? Well, there's a story about a man by the name of George Adam Smith. He's an Old Testament scholar. 
he was in Switzerland. He wanted to climb up this one mountain. And so he has a guide with him to go up this mountain. I mean, it is steep. And you can imagine, you know, you think of Switzerland, you think the Matterhorn and everything. So they go up the sheltered side of the mountain, and they actually got to the top. And so this man was so excited, he was exhilarated. Wouldn't you be if you got up to the top of the mountain? Uh, if you'd even try it. Some of you, I'm sure, are fearful of heights, and they say, no way, I'm not going to try that. But he got up there, and this is what's amazing. He just stood up there, and he forgot about the wind. The wind is blowing, blowing him around. I mean, uh, you, don't, you don't stand up there. So the guide, as the man is throwing his arms in the air, and he's going like this, and the wind is blowing, he's shouting with exhilaration, and the guide grabs a hold of him and pulls him down and said, On your knees! You're only safe up here when you're on your knees. You ever been in a real high place and you just kind of wanted to kind of get close to the ground as much as you could? Huck her down, right? Well, Jesus is on His knees again. That's where He's really safe. He's safe from the crowds. He's allowed to be able to pray to the Lord. And if you think way back in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, we saw... Uh, the first time, as far as Mark recording, I think, uh, the prayer of Jesus. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. That, that tells you a lot. He gets away from the crowds. He just did a miracle, many healings, and it does it whatever He can. It's dark, and there He is praying. Important, that boy is a key. That's the secret of life, of service before God. It is for Jesus. It's going to be the disciples, it's this whole church, it's all of us. The secret of our lives in ministering, as we are called to do, is this kind of prayer. Now they're in the, uh, Mark says they're in the middle of the sea. Is that what's happening here? According to John, they're about uh, three, three and a half miles out. In verse 47, when it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea. And he was alone on the land. He's still up there praying. Now, this is, this is out there in the evening. Now, it's not only starting to get dark, it is dark. They haven't gotten to the other side yet. They sh- they should be there to the other side. <laughs> they're still out there. <laughs> the wind is blowing. They're fighting it. They're, the oars are out, and they're uh, they're you know, how are they going to get across here? They they can't get anywhere. Matter of fact, they're getting getting lost, if anything. And we have Christ high up on this mountain praying. They're in the middle of the sea. They're struggling. Jesus could do something about it right now. Oh, those poor guys. My, I didn't know it was going to be that bad. I better get down there. No. He knows exactly what's going on. He designed this. He's not going to go down there because it's not time. Is it? Could he have? Well, of course he could have. Was this all surprise to him? <laughs> he knows what he's doing. He's praying. He's praying. And in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, we have one mediator between us and God. That man being Jesus Christ. He mediates between us and God. He is our mediator. He's the go-between. He is the great high priest. The one in the middle. <laughs> Doing this for us, praying for us, praying for them. Why? Doesn't God the Father know this? Well, he's up there a little bit further, isn't he, than this mountain? Uh, of course he does, right? I think of Hebrews chapter 2, really like that, where it deals with he has gone through everything that we have. He knows what this life is about. It's not that he was just God and he was far separated from it. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation. Ooh, is that word, isn't it? Good doctrinal word. To satisfy 
God the Father to satisfy His justice for the sins of the people. For since He Himself was tempted in that which He has suffered, He is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted or tested. He is able to do that because He did it. And He lived a perfectly righteous life. That's all part of that sacrifice and that satisfying God. He had to live a perfect life as well as die on the cross for our sins. So His life and death was perfect. Of course, the resurrection from the dead. Let's go to... um, Luke 22. You have to like this. This involves Peter. And we're familiar with this story. Luke 22, verse 31. Christ is telling some things. And of course, Peter has something to say about it. uh, Jesus says, Simon... Simon doesn't call him Peter. He doesn't call him Rock here. He just goes back to his old name. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. And you want to know what? But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail in you when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. I prayed for you. I've already prayed for you for that. I know what's going to happen. And that your faith wouldn't fail. Well, he failed, didn't he? He denied the Lord three times. He was sifted like wheat. He could have said, Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I've already prayed for you, and guess what? You're not going to get touched. Satan will never touch you. No, he says, I'm going to let him sift you. And then, after that, I'm going to make it turn out for good. And then you go strengthen your brothers because they're weak too. You see what's happening there? I'm glad He intercedes for us constantly. What do you guys think? Holy Spirit's interceding for us. Romans chapter 8. He's interceding even when we don't pray. Holy Spirit's in us praying. When we don't pray the right kind of prayer, Holy Spirit's praying that right kind of prayer. And when we pray once in a while, the same kind of thing that Jesus would be praying, that the Holy Spirit would be praying, the Holy Spirit is taking that prayer right to God. Aren't you thankful that He is interceding perfectly all the time for us? Romans 8. And of course, Romans 8.26. And everybody knows Romans 8.28. Shortly after that, right? All things work together for good. And on and on. John 17. Oh, I don't have time. Love to get into that chapter. That's where he's interceding for the apostles and even for us 2,000 years later where he is praying for them. And we get word for word in that prayer from Jesus. If you're saying John 17, what? Yeah, you can read his prayer there. Even today, 2,000 years later. Now, Jesus is not in the boat. He's not with them. In the mountain. He's not with them. They're straining. They're rolling. They're going up against the fierce winds. Just crashing up against them. They're feeling alone. They're feeling separated. And what are they thinking about Jesus right now? I don't know. But I'll tell you what. He knew exactly where they were. He's alone on the land. They're out there, verse 48, seeing them straining at the oars. Seeing them. Do you think he's up on that mountain peering down with binoculars? I think if he wants to, he's God. He can see literally what's going on there. Or if not, he he knows what's going on. He sees spiritually, right? I tend to think he sees this because he can do that. He knows exactly where they are. He knows precisely where they were, what they were doing. And He always knows His own. He knows what we're going through. It's not a surprise to Him. He knows exactly. Does that kind of comfort you to know that He knows? Or does it make you mad at God because He knows and He's not doing anything about it? I think that's where the disciples' hearts had gotten a little hardened. 
That part of it, anyway. You know what? Jesus will take this picture that we have here and then take it into reality uh, for us. Jesus ascended on high. It's like He's up on the mountain now looking at us and as we're into the sea and uh-oh, here comes the storm. We're down here. The priest, the one who prays, is down. Or it's almost in the sense that he is down on his knees. But yet, he's at the Father's right hand. But he looks down on us in our storms. He knows it. And he sees us toiling. Oh, sometimes. Toiling in the storm. And we're rolling. And he's looking. I think it's amazing. As a matter of fact, I'm going to take that word amaze and separate it and make it a maze. Have you ever been in a maze before? A corn maze? You know, one of those kind of things? Or different kind of mazes? And you don't know where you're going? And it seems like you just keep going around circles or squares or whatever. You just can't get out of there. And you start to wonder, can I ever get out of here? And, And you get lost in it, you know. And yet people know that and they go right for those things and do them anyway. <laughs> I got in a maze one time that I had hedges. You know, there was uh, the, the live hedges. And you know, they were up this high. You couldn't see over or anything. Kind of got scared a little bit. After a while, I was trying to think, i got to get through these hedges or something. But if someone would be happening to be standing up on a hill... You know, kind of elevated over this whole thing. And if they were looking down on it, and you could say, okay, now, which one, where do I go now, right or left? You know, because they can see the whole thing, and they could tell you where that you need to go. And uh, because they have it all worked out. That might be the designer of that maze. He knows exactly where you need to go. and He sees it all, right? Well, it's kind of like that. And that's what Jesus is doing. And of course, He ascended. And He will descend to here again and get us out of this maze. (laughs) Even though He's directing us, right? So in verse 48, seeing them straining at the oars for the wind was against them at about the fourth watch, even tells us what time this is, of the night, He came to them walking on the sea. So he descended to them. Came right to the servants bodily. Now this is the fourth watch. The first watch is from 6 o'clock p.m. to 9 o'clock. That's first watch. Second watch is from 9 to 12. Third watch is from 9 or 12 to 3. And then the fourth watch is from 3 to 6. That's a long time. Wait a minute. They went in the early evening. It was still probably light out there, definitely. And now it's in the wee hours of the morning. It's like the sun will be coming up before too long. (laughs) That's how long they've been out there when it really shouldn't have taken that long at all. They strain for hours and hours. Jesus came to them. Now here's where we have He comes to us. Look in John 14. Of course, in John 14, this is the night before He will be crucified. And He comforts His disciples from 14 through 16, talking about leaving the Holy Spirit with them. And and He solves a lot of mysteries for them there, but they can't really grasp a lot of it. Verse 18, I will not leave you as... And I love this translation. This New American Standard on this one. I will not leave you as orphans... I will come to you. Uh, In the same chapter, he started out, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. Were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. You like that one? That's used at funerals a lot. It's a great promise, right? And he says, okay, listen. Yeah, I'm going to leave, but you're not going to be orphans. You like that? 
you're not going to be like the orphans where they don't have any family anymore. Like both their parents are dead and, and now you have nobody to depend on. You're an orphan. He says, you're not going to be that. You're going to be taken care of very well. Okay? And then we, we, we scoot to verse 23. Just to shorten the time up here. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. It shows you if you're truly a lover of Christ, you're a believer in him, you, you'll keep his word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and what? Make our abode, our house, our dwelling with him. Okay? We'll come to Him and make our abode. In the sense of the Holy Spirit, He has. He's come in. This is His abode. This is His dwelling. He lives in us individually. He lives in the body of Christ. Great, isn't it? And even more, one of these days, we will be in the very presence of God. Right? In the presence of Jesus Christ. But isn't that nice to know He makes His dwelling with us? I'm not going to leave you like orphans while you're here. I'll take care of you. You'll have everything you need pertaining to life and godliness. You'll have the very power of God in you. So 14 to 16, pretty incredible. Well, Jesus is not hindered by anything. Whenever He comes to us, nothing's going to stop Him. Okay, it's time to go to them. So He does. And so He's unhindered. The sea and the storm... No obstacle for Jesus whatsoever here, is it? No obstacle at all. And then He comes alongside us. He came to them walking on the sea. And this next phrase, some of these translations are not very good because it leaves you wondering, what? And He intended to pass by them. Now, if you took that in the way that I used to read it, Oh, well, he's walking, but he's just going to... My intention is to just keep on going on by. You know, and then that's it. That's not it at all. And and I'm saying the translations are, are not wrong, but it's the way that it might be worded. You know, the Word of God is absolute correct in everything it says. But sometimes translations can be confusing uh, if we don't understand what they're trying to translate there. The idea is to pass alongside by to be right there in right parallel with the boat where they can see me that's the idea it's not that i'm just going to walk on by and then that's it that blow the whole thing wouldn't it you know so that, that doesn't even make any sense but that's the way i used to read it i'm going oh, i got a little problem with that not not with god's word just my own mind can't fathom this it's, it's not god's word is never wrong it's like we're still sinful people. We're, you know, we're, we're still weak. And it takes a lot to be able to understand thoroughly the deep thoughts of God sometimes or translations and, and such. So you have to dig sometimes. But that's the joy of it all. It makes you dig. And the, the more you dig, then you feel satisfied sometimes when you, when you get an answer. And if you don't get the answer, then maybe later on. But... So that's the idea. You guys might not have ever had any trouble with that, you know. Maybe just read just the way that you thought. But that that's the thought. Moving on here, um, we see his purpose there, and he comes miraculously here, walking on the water. Yeah, I guess so. Just as uh, as it says, and it's seemingly impossible. Nobody does this. I mean, this is this is crazy. I mean, this is not a humanly uh, possible situation. And sometimes God likes to reveal Himself in a way that is not something that you would expect. He's walking on the sea. And in Psalm... Go to Job. Job chapter 9, verse 8. Just before the Psalms. 9, 8. Who alone stretches out the heavens and tramples down the waves of the sea? This is Job talking about God. And He tramples down the waves of the sea. You like that? How about Psalm seventy-seven, nineteen? Just a little bit further there. Talking about the character God. Your way was in the sea and your paths in the mighty waters and your footprints may not be known. And that's the 
the God that just exceeds all of our deep thinking. (laughs) But He comes in a way that we wouldn't even think about. And He also comes mysteriously. He's a mysterious visitor sometimes. When they saw Him walking on the sea, what did they suppose that He was? A ghost. Uh, The word is phantasm. Sounds kind of interesting for English, doesn't it? Um, Phantasm here. um, A phantom. Some kind of spirit, some kind of a ghost. For one thing, they're delirious. They've toiled hours and hours out on the the sea uh, on, on the boat. And sometimes your mind gets really cloudy. You ever driven all day and then all night and then into the wee hours of the morning where it's about 3, 4, maybe even 5 o'clock and even the sun's coming up. You've been driving for a long time, much longer than you ever should have. And you start seeing... I, I saw pink elephants, all sorts of different weird creatures coming flying at me, and I didn't even take anything. You know, I, I was just driving, and I started seeing just crazy things before my eyes. I'd shake my head, and I'm going, there's no way. You know, that's not really real. It, it happens. You know, I, it, but, you know what, what do you say? Yeah. Got to keep going. I got to be there at this time. Well, these guys have been out there all night. For, so for one thing, they're probably thinking... I'm not telling anybody. But I don't. There's nobody out there. That I just saw somebody walking this, you know. And and they still seem. Well, see, people who are on the water a lot that sail. And this is like a little sea, even though it's a lake. And um, they've heard all the ghost stories, all the tales of uh, fishermen and uh, sailors. They have those stories of these. Water ghosts. That's the idea here. These phantom are phantoms are water ghosts as far as they're concerned. Now they start talking about, oh yeah, did you, I saw that. Did you see that? Yeah, I did. What in the world was that? Well, it looked like a man out there, and they suppose that it was a ghost. It wasn't a ghost. That's what they came up with. And I don't know. You might remember. Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, where they have these men of the sea who have died at sea, and then they come back to life. Well, I don't know if they're back to life. They're kind of like what zombies are, you know. You, you know, yeah, you might know the story, you may not, but that's the idea that they've heard these stories before. So that's these guys that have died, and they're coming up out of the sea. They're here to haunt us while we're having this this storm that we're going through, or the winds, or whatever. So. Kind of an eerie figure, experienced fisherman, and they're scared to death. How does your mind process this? What would you do if you saw a man out there walking and you you see clearly that this is a man out there walking? What do I do with that? Often the Lord comes to us in our storms in ways that we don't even recognize. We don't even know that that's Him dealing with all of this. We don't recognize Him. We might be distracted by other things. Could be in a storm right now. You might be. And you might be thinking, the Lord has forsaken me and forgotten me. I know He has. Why should He care about me anyway? Right? Maybe you don't realize that mysteriously He is very near. Matter of fact, He's right here. You just haven't seen it yet. Well, look what they do. For they all saw Him. So it's not just one or two guys. Every one of them see Him. And they were terrified. Just before verse 50, it says they cried out. Now that word there means to shriek. Guys are shrieking, screaming. Usually they portray women doing that and guys are all brave and everything. These brave fishermen who have been through many storms and the last one they had was really, really bad. They're worse. Now they're dealing with this and they, they're they okay. They're not screaming or shrieking until they see this figure out there. They, they cried out. For they all saw him. They knew they saw him. And they were terrified. The word there means to throw into a panic. That's exactly what happened. They were in a panic. 
Jesus has them where He wants. Got them right there. Now, the display of power. He's already kind of displayed that power and walking there. But you have to like what happens here as He reveals Himself. They saw Him, were terrified. What's the word right after that? But immediately, He wants to calm them down. They are out of their minds here. And He spoke with them. Just spoke. Just talked. Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. He's always the one who gives the courage. He's always the one that has you to endure the trial. Seven times in the Gospels and one time in Acts where He says, take courage. Be courageous here, right? And... Humanly, if somebody said, Yeah, sure, you haven't been out in this boat all night and then seen this figure out there like that. <laughs> but he knows. He's in the midst of all those circumstances that we deal with. Then he says, Do not fear. Do not fear. Take courage. Do not be afraid. It is I. It's, it's Yahweh. It is Jehovah, right? I. I am the bread of life. I. I am. Here's the I. Uh, This is who it is. This is why he can say this. Be not afraid. Do not fear. I am here. He is the protector. The protector. Just like he protects them, protects us. Psalm 5.11 says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call on the name of the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved, I am rescued. Psalm 23.4 You can go on and on and on. You can see it all over the Psalms. Just good to be reminded sometimes, isn't it? Good to be reminded. You can say, well, I just go through a lot of different things than anybody else here. You know, and God, it seems to take it out on me and nobody else knows. Believe me, man, we all go through certain valleys. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. And every Christian knows that. And every Christian seems to forget that. (laughs) Why is that? Your rod, that's used for discipline, (laughs) and your staff can be used to protect the enemy, or protect, to keep the enemy from attacking you. They comfort me. That's out of that Psalm 23 4, which everybody knows. Do we forget that one? I think we do. That's why it's good to be here. That's why it's good to be here when we gather. Because we need to be reminded. We meet here Sundays and Wednesdays. You need to be reminded. There are a lot of things that you forgot. Peter tells them about that later in the epistle that he writes. It's not for my purpose. It's not because I want a lot of people here. It's because we want to sit at the feet of the Lord and let Him teach us. That's the way He does it now. It's really important. It's important to know this. We forget so easily. You know what? If you belong to Him, you never need to fear at any time. If He is a sovereign God, we believe in a sovereign God. We preach a sovereign God, don't we? Sovereign grace is what we preach. If that be the case, there is never any need ever, 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 never, ever, never to be fearful. Boy, the circumstances are very terrifying here. Let me say that, you know, as I look at this, what about that story about Peter walking on the water? It says, Take courage, as I do not be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped, and they were utterly astonished. Well, I guess. That's another miracle there, isn't it? So they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their hearts hardened. 
Peter, wait a minute. How are we going to cover this? We're right at the end. It's not here in Mark. Let's just mention it just for a moment. It's found in Matthew 14. You can see that. What would make Peter want to go out there in the water? Why would he do that? could be a lot of reasons. Maybe he just wanted to get a little bit of glory himself. Hey, that looks like a pretty cool thing to do. Maybe. But I think even more, he does love Jesus. He sees him standing out there on the water. He's been in the boat. He knows what the boat does. I think I'd rather be out there standing with Jesus. I would feel safer out there in the water than I would in the boat. Wind stops, we know, but you know what? He's walking. He's walking like Jesus was walking on the water. And then his humanness really set in because he started to think. And the doubt set in. Hey, wait a minute, I I'm I can't do I can't do this. <laughs> this is crazy. This and he starts thinking. He cries out to the Lord, you know, save, you know, save me. He didn't get far. Reality really started setting in. He became frightened. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. How many times could we say that over and over? I believe in the Lord. There's certain times I wonder, how is He going to do that He's our protector. He's our deliverer. We have pure faith. But a lot of times the faith actually is mingled with natural doubt. So the pure faith is really not really pure. It's being refined. How's it going to be refined? We see this incident of what happened here in this today. He's had power over death, demons, disease. He just created food. And now He cares for them. How protective He was of them, but He let them go through that. Oh, the power of faith. Their reaction here, when stopped and they were utterly astonished, existemi. Existemi. It is... Beside yourself, outside yourself, they were out of their minds as this thing utterly astonished, out of their minds. He turned off the storm again. <laughs> hey, haven't we been here before? <laughs> the winds are blowing, and just like that, they stop and this verse 52 is, is kind of hard to understand. For they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. And that could be at that time that it was still hardened. But I think we have a verse that can help us out here. And I believe it is in... I think it is in Matthew... They don't have any insight. In Matthew 14, that's where we have the Peter incident. When they got into the boat, Jesus and Peter, the wind stopped. It's still been blowing it. When they got into the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped Him saying, You are certainly God's Son. Do you see a little bit of the filling in here of the blanks when we put the Gospels together? They had been hardened by that miracle that had been done by uh, they just kind of really they don't really catch the idea that he's a son of God I mean they can't grasp that you say well how can they not you know they saw the feeding of the 5,000 already seen all these other miracles they just don't get it yet they haven't gotten it yet 
But there's a confession made here in John that's remarkable, or in, in Matthew. And those who were in the boat worshipped Him, saying, You are certainly God's Son. Something changed at that moment when they got into the boat. Mark just says, you know, here they're utterly astonished, and the wind stops. But they had not gained any insight out of, out of that feeding of the 5,000. The heart really was hardened. It was like they didn't really catch it, and now they're saying, you're God's son. Did you catch that? What a confession. The last section, it just kind of sums up his ministry, really what he's been doing, what he will be doing. Verse 53, when they crossed over, they came to a land at Gennesaret. Uh, by the way, how did they cross over? Immediately. Mark doesn't really tell us here. You know, they're moored to the shore. They could have rowed, rowed the boat over there. But in John 6.21, they were willing to receive him in the boat and immediately the boat was at the land. Did you catch what happened? They're out there in the middle of the sea. And the next thing you know, they are at the shore. Folks, this is called the quantum leap. I think Einstein talked about the quantum leap. He believed in it, but he just couldn't work it out scientifically. That's when reality moves from here to there without ever traversing the space in between. Immediately, they're boom, boom, like that. Another miracle. Jesus does things like that. They were moored to the shore. They were at Gennesaret, a very densely populated area, beautiful area. Gennesaret is often identified with Lake Gennesaret. That's what it is. So it's a town that's kind of named after the lake. You have the Lake of the Ozarks, and then you have a, a, a town there, a little city called what? Lake Ozark. <laughs> it's kind of the same thing. It's so identified with it. And, of course, very close to there is um, Capernaum. It's right adjacent to Capernaum. So they arrived there, all the people from everywhere. And once they knew they were there, the word got out and it just spread. And here we go again. And people recognizing him, they see that. Let's read it over. When they crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret, more to the shore. When they got out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him. I'm not going to do a word-by-word commentary on this. We're just going to finish reading. Ran about the whole country, began to carry here and there on their pallets those who were sick to the place they heard he was. Wherever he entered villages or cities or or countryside, they were laying the sick in their marketplace and imploring him they might just touch the fringe of his cloak. Do you remember the lady who had touched the tassels? If I can just touch that, I know that he can heal me. Well, they probably heard about that, maybe even knew about her, whatever. And as many as touched it were being cured. End of the chapter. End of the message. You know what? This was for everybody. This is common grace. Some people were believers of Him. Some of them really weren't. But He healed many. Not necessarily did that mean that they became Christians or believers. This is the compassion of our God. He still touches people regardless of what they are. But only the believers will inherit eternal life. What do you want from Jesus? What do you want? Are we like those people or the people today who fill up the prosperity preacher's auditoriums? You just want the healing? Believe me, that's the kind of a lot of the people that were showing up. You just want the well-being? You just want the wealth, the prosperity? You want to name it and claim it? You want to be able to chart your own course, maybe? Maybe you have your own idea where you want to go. You want to be the designer of your own destiny in this life? Is that what we want Jesus for, then we have Him for the wrong reason. This was all temporary stuff. Those people that got healed, they still had to die. The people that were raised from the dead still had to die again. So it's temporary. It is good relief. It is amazing what God does, but the spiritual aspect behind it is what is eternal. That's what lasts. Do you want Him as the bread of life? Do you want Him as the water of life? The bread of life where you'll never hunger? The water of life where you'll never thirst again? That is why we have Jesus. Because He is our bread. He is our life. And He gives a sermon in Capernaum. I think somebody says that was in the synagogue. 
speaking on the bread of life. And that's where people had real difficulty because it was quite a demand that he was making. It's follow him. Give yourself up. Trust in me totally. Here is what it's about. And many of his disciples did not go after him again. And this is what Peter said. as John 65 665 For this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. The verse before that, some of you did not believe. And there's going to be some of the train. He's talking about the spiritual things, not the flesh profiting everything, not the physical things. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. This was this next day. The day after the feeding, the day after that storm incident, and boom, we go right into this right here. And Jesus said to the twelve, you don't want to go away also, do you? All these people have been following me for the last year. They're, they've gone now. They're, they're not going to follow anymore. Do you want to go too? And what does Peter say? You have words of eternal life. What did they say in the boat that early morning? You are God's Son. We have believed and have come to know that You are the Holy One of God. That's what it's about. Knowing the Holy One. Let's pray.